Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 1. 2 Samuel 1. Last night on our way home from my parents, we stopped and got a drink in Warsaw. Such a happening place, Warsaw, on a Saturday night. And uh, as we were getting back onto the interstate, Eliza asked me a question and I responded. And her response back to me was, man, that accent is loud and clear today. So I'd say to you what I normally say to you after trips to the east. If you can't understand me, please see Jim and Sue Etheridge and they would be glad to translate. I also want to make one other point since I mentioned Jim's name. And that is, it is a rare day. It is a rare day when a Carolina fan feels sorrow for NC State. But we weep with you today. And we were pulling for you all uh, this weekend. So uh, we are sorry that, that it has befallen you. First, Second Samuel chapter number 1. Would you pray with me? Speak, speak to us, Lord. <clears throat> Speak to us that we may be the people that you want us to be. And in a world that declares friendship with the push of a button. And yet by the actions of those same buttons on keyboards shows a complete disregard for friendship. Help us to learn and to exhibit true friendship to a world that desperately needs it. Father, give me the words that you would have for us to hear today as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine. The lamentable word has come to you that your best friend, your best friend forever, your BFF has fallen in battle. The full gamut of emotions have erupted from the depths of your soul. Anger, confusion, unbearable sorrow, 
and a pervasive sense of being lost. Yes, you have a family, but he was more of a family to you than you have ever experienced from your own. Your father has treated you little better than he does a servant. Your brothers have disdained your very existence to the point of making false assertions about your motives on the day of your greatest triumph. And on that day, after the fight had settled, there he was, your BFF. There he was, promising to always be there for you. And he has been. He has been, even at great personal cost to himself. Oh, how grievous the pain that at this, the moment when your reality has finally intersected with your destiny, you are left not with celebrations of relief and joy, but dreadful vexations of the soul. He's dead. He's really dead. Your BFF is forever ensnared by death's grim shadow, never to return to your side. What was it, David? What was it that made your friendship with Jonathan so special? Our search for an answer to this question begins where we ended last week, moments after David's miraculous triumph over Goliath. 1 Samuel 18:1 records, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Why? Does Jonathan give David his royal robe and all of his armor? The answer is simple. True friendship is marked by an intense love that puts others first. Jonathan is not rewarding David for his conquest of the Philistines. That is in his father Saul's purview. We could say that Jonathan is seeing the way the wind is blowing, as Saul will soon see later in chapter number 18, and that Jonathan is only trying to save himself from the equivalent of a palace coup led by David. Again, the text does not imply any of that. The text is abundantly clear, though, on this central point. David, lo excuse me, Jonathan loved David as much as he did himself. In other words, he loved his neighbor as himself.
You and I are called to do the same. But how often do we do that? How often do we exhibit the love of true friendship to our neighbor by putting them ahead of ourselves? More pointedly, how often do we treat friendship as something transactional rather than simply being the picture of two souls knit together, loving each other? Far too often, beloved, our friendships and our pursuit of friendships are marked by what the other person can do for us to advance our standing in our community or at work. We hold to the firm belief that I will scratch your back, but instead of just scratching your back because that is what friends do in a pinch, I will slink away and put a tick next to your name because I will need to call in that favor one day. We can label our transactional relationships with any and all the modern parlance we wish. We can call it networking or we can say we're just simply making contacts. We can even couch it in spiritual terms like I'm building relationships for missionary purposes. But what we cannot do is term it true friendship. We must once again return to the ethic that God calls us to love people just to love them. He calls us to do everything in our power to advance them over our picayune self-interest simply because at the heart of the work of Jesus is that example. Jesus died on Calvary's cross in the full knowledge that there would be countless millions who would scorn and repudiate his finished work of salvation. But he did it anyway because he loved them and wanted to exhibit all that true friendship encompassed for those who one day would follow him. He extended the invitation and indeed welcomed his new friend, a friend that we don't even know the name of, the thief on the cross next to him. Not because the thief could do anything for Jesus, but because Jesus simply loved him and offered friendship at a moment of intense need. To this, beloved, each of us are called to be in our community, in our nation, and in our world. Now, as true friendship is built on love, and therefore we are not worried about the transactions we will lose, we should remember then to ensure these friendships are marked by honesty and frank discussion about wrong perceptions and understandings. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 20. Verses 1 through 4. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without discussing it excuse me, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. 
But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. By this point in the text, Saul has twice thrown a spear at David to pin him to the wall. And in the previous chapter, sent a hit team out for David, which David thankfully managed to escape. Clearly, to any casual observer, Saul is trying desperately to end David's life. And yet, based upon the parlay we just read between David and Jonathan, Jonathan initially disputes such assertions when David raises them. What is it about their relationship that enables David to be so blunt with Jonathan that David can accuse Jonathan's father, the king of the entire realm, as guilty of attempted murder and conspiracy to attempt murder? What allows him to do this? It's the intense love of true friendship. And so Jonathan and David devise a plan to flush out Saul's hidden deceptions into the light of day. And at last, Jonathan sees his father's malicious intent. If David and Jonathan's friendship were simply transactional, David would not have been so frank in his accusations. Beloved, do you have any friendships in your life where the other person can look at you and say in freedom infused by love... You have this all wrong, and simply because of your friendship with them, you believe them. Are you that person in someone else's life? It seems to me that we spend a lot of time in life lamenting that people will not listen to our counsel for their lives when maybe we should be wiser to build friendships where the level of frank conversation the world needs for self-correction could occur. I hear people say all the time that they wish they could say something that would bring a reformation in someone else's life, but they know that if they did, they would lose the friendship. My question is, if the relationship is so tenuous that you cannot express to someone they are going the wrong direction, can it even be termed friendship And can you say with a straight face that you really love them? David loved Jonathan and could say to him without fear of losing the relationship, Look, your dad has lost his mind and I'm going to lose my life because of it. Beloved, are you willing to love with such reckless abandon those we term friends that they will be willing to be frank with us and us to them let us be clear our long term health may very much depend on answering yes I will love and be loved by such reckless abandon we would be remiss then if we did not take these ramifications a step farther And recognize that our physical health is not simply on the line, but our spiritual health is as well. Jonathan later in chapter 20 puts his and David's plan into action. And the result is violent fireworks between Jonathan and Saul. 
Look down at 1 Samuel 20, verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring to me, bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done but Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Beloved, did you catch what is hidden just below the surface of this interaction? It's the acknowledgement of God's will for David's life on the part of Jonathan. Saul rightly declares that as long as David lives, Jonathan will never be king and will neither have a kingdom to rule over. Jonathan is the crown prince of Israel. It is his birthright to become king after Saul. And yet, in his defense of David, Jonathan says essentially, it's not mine. To be sure, Jonathan knew by now of Samuel's anointing of David. Jonathan knew the will of God and for David was for David to become king, not Jonathan. And he was at peace with that. He wanted God's will for his friend regardless of what it cost Jonathan personally. Because ultimately, beloved, each of us should want God's will for our friends regardless of what it costs us. God's will is perfect. God's will is good. How can we not want that for someone we would term our friend? When we say that we want God's will for our friends, it means simply that we want what is best for them. And if we truly believe that God's will is best for them, then consequently it is also going to be best for us as well. Jonathan is pursuing what is best for David, what is best for Israel, and yes, what is best for himself as he exposes his father's naked hatred for God's anointed. Now, beloved, let us look at this in a very narrow application for each of us in this moment. I confess to you that the last five months of my life has been an absolute blur as I have had to process both individually and in some manner for us corporately, the retirements of my dear friends, of your dear friends, Howard Martin and Roger Roach. I confess to you that sometimes when I look at a future without seeing them in the office every day, I grow anxious 
and yes, I will admit it, fearful. However, I trust them both. And both expressed to me the same thing repeatedly. Mark, I believe God is calling me to retirement. Now, if they are truly my friends, then I must say, yes, I understand. And I must release them to pursue God's best for them in the sure and certain knowledge that God will take care of me. He will take care of each of us. And he will take care of Grove Park. True friendship, beloved. True friendship is acknowledging and affirming God's will in our friends' lives despite our wants and wishes. The question for us is how well do we exhibit that sentiment when it comes to our friends pursuing God's will to what we believe to be our detriment. Now, one other thing. As we think through this, we must also understand that true friendship will come to a point when we must say goodbye. David must ultimately say goodbye to Jonathan when news reaches him of Jonathan and Saul's death in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Herein we see an additional lesson about friendship that behooves each of us to understand. If the friendship is as true as we say it is, then we must by necessity learn to grieve its loss well. Our society does not grieve well. I acknowledge and have felt the messiness of grief. And I confess to you, at least for me personally, some level of messiness is unavoidable as we deal with our sorrow. However, I do not believe that continued messy grief is illustrative of true friendship. It means we have not taken the time to process what the person means to us and the impact they have had on our lives and the lives of others. David's ability to process grief will, I believe, become one of the great hallmarks of his life. And it begins with the loss of his BFF, his best friend forever, Jonathan. Notice 2 Samuel 1.17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. David took the time to write out a lamentation. This lamentation is not some quick regurgitation 
of Saul and Jonathan's life. It is not a litany of David's interactions with them. You know, very often when we have funerals, just this week I preached a funeral and the family uh, could not express what they wanted uh, verbally, so they wrote it all down and asked me and I would read it for family remembrances. That's not what David is doing here. David's lamentation is a well-thought-out piece of poetry. It's written in proper meter. And it should be noted, it can be sung. In other words, when Israel sang the hymns, it was to teach, sang the Psalms, it is to teach them lessons about God. And so this is a lesson that David intends for the people of Israel to know. There is no messiness here, beloved. Some would argue that without the messiness, it could mean that David did not truly love Jonathan. Or because it involved Saul, it somehow cheapens the overall memory of Jonathan for David. Such thoughts, though, are far from the truth. Saul did accomplish many great things. And David knows that much of what Saul accomplished, it was through Jonathan's assistance. So honoring Saul then meant honoring Jonathan. Yet it is more than that. Notice verse 25. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. David expresses just how great his love of Jonathan was. It was extraordinary. In other words, it was not usual. It was abundant. It was overflowing. Such a bond, such is the bond that it supersedes all others. It is stronger than any link in a chain. David's processing of his grief then is not throwing away Jonathan's memory. It is indeed telling the people that they should have relationships like this one. David wanted the people to forever remember what true friendship looks like because it will be true friendship that will ultimately see each of us through all the hardships and heartaches of life. Beloved, do you have a friend like Jonathan that will one day grieve over you in like manner? Are you that friend to someone else? And more specifically, if you have had or now have lost such a friendship, are you grieving your BFF well? I confess to you, it is hard. It is intensely hard. In the last two years, I've lost a mentor and I've lost one of my dearest friends. The friend I lost was completely unexpectedly. I'm not sure I always grieve for them well. 
but I must. If I am to, to live out the full extent of their memory in my life and the importance of who they are to me, then I must grieve them well and speak of their friendships well because then I show others the impact they can have if they have like friendships in other people's lives. I once more ask you to imagine something. At the beginning I asked for you to imagine yourselves as David mourning the loss of Jonathan. Now I want you to imagine the impact that a place could have where friendships such as Jonathan's and David's were not remarkable, but the norm. Because ultimately, beloved, that is what a community of faith should be. It is what a church should be. Not just on a couple of levels, not just with your Sunday school class, not just with the people you serve on committees with. It should be that across the spectrum of the fellowship. It is what people in the world at large are looking for. They are not looking for something superficial, but something real and vibrant and active. A community that puts others first that has open and frank conversations about their lives and about the issues of the day that they are dealing with, and they do so permeated by love and undergirded by grace. How different would the discussions that are at the forefront of our nation be right now if we had them intoned by love and resounding by grace. Imagine a place where the very best for someone is always sought because the best thing that's being sought for them is God's pleasing and perfect will in their life. Can you imagine the impact we could have on our community, on our nation, on our world, if you and I could treat each other all as our BFF. If we could have the discussions that make the world better, if we could know that we are always putting someone else first and not worried about our back ever getting scratched again because ultimately we know that our friend will always be there to scratch our back. Beloved, we have a great church. We have a great church. I recognize I am very partial. I recognize that. But Grove Park is the best church in North Carolina. Probably is the best church in America, but I don't want to get too big-headed. But we are not here yet. We are not. We are not at this level of relationship with one another. 
And we're not at this level of creating these friendships beyond these walls so that people will come into these walls. But let's be clear. This is what God wants us to do. God intends for us to go out beyond this place today and be someone's David. Be someone's Jonathan. To love them intensely because they feel so unloved and so unwanted. Think about how filling it was for the scorned and rejected David to feel Jonathan's love. Of course it sustains him. Of course it enables him to get through all of the vexations of his battles with Saul. They, outside of these walls, need that, beloved. They're crying out for it. They need somebody to come along. That's why they're yelling and screaming from the mountaintops on whatever issue you might want to think about. Which means we've got to be it for them. The question is, as it always is, Will we do it? It's not easy. Goodness gracious, it's not easy. Having frank conversations about things is hard. If you don't believe me, you should go have been at the Sanders dinner table on Friday and on Saturday. But it's necessary for us to be our best. So, how about it, BFFs? Will you rise to the challenge? Let's pray. Lord, help us. To be a friend to the world beyond that so desperately needs to know what true friendship is. Help us to be that friend to each other within these walls. And help us, Lord, to know what friendship looks like. Yes, by the lives of Jonathan and David, but Lord, by yet another. As we hear the words of the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. Let us be as him, a friend to all we come in contact with. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Mm-hmm.